What a blessing, what a, a tremendous joy it is for Sue and I to be back with you here in this congregation. You've meant so much for the cause of Christ, and you just mean a, a great deal to Sue and me, and we're just delighted that uh, you, you've asked us to come back. I, you, you probably feel towards Sue and me like that uh, church out of Missouri that we worked with for about three and a half years before moving back to Indiana this past July. Uh, they, they told us when they offered us the opportunity to come out there, said, we really want Sue, but we have to take JR to get her. And so that, that may be uh, maybe what I'm looking at here. You really appreciate her, and I'm just kind of in, in the way. And I really appreciate the theme of, your, uh, uh, of what, what you've been studying here as well as the, the theme of our, our, our studies throughout this week. Kind of give you a heads up, I, I, t tonight's going to sort of serve as an introductory uh, lesson to what I want to talk about throughout the week. Uh, we're going to deal with uh, some thoughts of Jesus as it was revealed in the New Testament and some contemporary ideas that people have today about who Jesus is. To, uh, tomorrow night we're going to continue talking about Jesus by looking at what the scriptures tell us, Jesus, tell us about Jesus and who he is. And then on uh, the Saturday night, we'll be, uh, no, uh, Friday night, we'll be talking about uh, uh, why Jesus had to die on the cross. And then we'll look at something on Saturday night that I think is a very haunting statement that Jesus made from the cross uh, just prior to his, uh, to his death. And then we'll discuss the resurrection. And we're going to deal a whole lot with, uh, with, with what the scriptures tell us about Jesus uh, throughout the course of our study together. And I just really appreciate uh, the song that was led at the beginning of our service this evening. But I want to start by pointing out something that is said in the first chapter of the book of Luke. In verses 30 and 31, Then the angel said to her, that is to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And as we indicated in the song a moment ago, Jesus is the name above all names. Uh, he is beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. What are you doing? We're getting there. <laughs> I thought he was bringing me a chair to sit in or something. I don't know, know what this guy was up to. Is he going to come on here in a minute? <laughs> oh, oh, all right. But uh, now, when, when Jesus is considered, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the light of what the Bible says, in the light of Scripture, I have to tell you, he defies principles of logic. There's any question about that when you think about Jesus and what the Bible says about him and you begin to look at all that is said, you know, within the entirety of it. And it's just like I say, you know, it just, just baffles the mind. And, and I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say uh, about Jesus. He said, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman. Almighty and yet nursing on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms. King of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. 
And so this kind of gives you an idea of how you just cannot pigeonhole Jesus. It, it, it just defies human wisdom and human logic. And I think this is well evidenced and reflected in Matthew chapter 13 uh, when it says in verse uh, 54, that came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. Verse 54 of Matthew 13. And when it come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And my friends, without question, Jesus of Nazareth is probably the most, not probably, I'll scratch that word. Jesus is the most dominating figure in the whole of human history. Jesus fulfilled, it is thought to be no fewer than 300 Old Testament prophecies, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some people even suggest that 574 Old Testament verses are directly connected to Jesus of Nazareth and is reflected in the New Testament. When we look at Jesus Christ, we have to recognize that he is both loved and hated. Jesus is both revered and slandered. Uh, and this is the way that it seems to have always been. As a matter of fact, it's not uncommon today to hear the words Jesus Christ used as an expletive. And, 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 and that is disgusting, and yet it's, it's, I, I kind of understand what's behind that. Because you never hear, no matter what people may, may think about another character in history, you never hear somebody saying when you know, somebody goofs up, somebody fouls up, you don't hear somebody say, well, Mahatma Gandhi, what were you thinking? They don't do that. Or when someone, uh, you know, does, does something bad or does something wrong, you, you know, you don't, say, you don't hear somebody say, well, Adolf Hitler, what a mess. And who's going to clean this up? But they'll use the words Jesus Christ as an expletive. There's a reason behind this. And we'll get into that, hopefully, during the course of our study. There was an amazing, inc uh, an interesting incident, rather, that occurred in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark. And it's, it's, it's this instant uh, incident that occurred from which I get the title of what I want to be talking about throughout the course of this weekend. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus had said to the disciples, we're going to cross over and go to the other side of the lake. We're going to go to the other side. And then while they're in the boat going to the other side, a great storm comes up. And matter of fact, it's a... It, it, it's a Big storm. It's a, I like to tell people it's a doozy of a storm, a seismos uh, type of, of uh, uh, storm that came up on the sea. And they thought the boat was going to sink. Well, Jesus calmed the storm and just said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, how would you? answer that question who can this be you know i think about i think about pontius pilate the procurator of judea when jesus was on trial before him 
And Pilate, examining him, recognized and said on a number of occasions, I find no fault in this man. And yet he cried, he went to the crowd and he cried out to the crowd, you know, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? Matthew 27 and verse 22. And you know what? When they cried out, crucify him, what Pilate did is he punted. He did exactly what they wanted to do. He crucified Jesus. But Jesus posed this question directly to his disciples on one occasion and so far as who can this be, Jesus asked in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Now let's think about this. We, you know, I, I, like I said, this is going to be, sort of be a preliminary discussion, a preliminary lesson on some of the things that we want to talk about. But that question needs to be answered. Who do men say that I am? Now let's just stop and think about this from the standpoint of his contemporaries. How was Jesus viewed by those in the first century that came into personal contact with him? And when you look at the various responses that people had, you kind of, you scratch your head and you come away. Why is this? Well, why are people having such a reaction to Jesus? It was like a, like a lesson that I have uh, preached a number of, uh, of, of times. Why the world hates Christians. You, ever, you know, that, that, that's a reality. Jesus said, you know, the world will hate you because it hated me first. And I wonder, why did people hate Jesus? All he did was go about doing good. And when I look at who he is and what the Bible says about him, when I, I, I recognize that people have such a vast opinion of him, a diverse opinion of him, it, it makes me wonder why. Well, listen, let's think about what some of his contemporaries thought of him when he asked, when, when, you know, looking at the question, who do men say that I am? Let's, let's notice in John chapter 4, in, verse, in, in verses 8 on, we find that this woman of Samaria who come in contact with Jesus considered him to be just an ordinary Jewish man. Jesus asked her when to Jacob's well, give me a drink of water. And the woman said to him, sort of incredulously, why, well, what are you doing? Why, why would a Jew ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? So she looked at Jesus as just being a Jew. And yes, he was by birth, by race, and by religion a Jew. He would have been a descendant of Abraham. In that regard, she was correct. Indeed, he was a Jew. He was also of the house of David. He was of the tribe of Judah. As a matter of fact, if you look at Luke's account, in Luke chapter 3 of the genealogy of Jesus, you find that Jesus' supposed father, Joseph, was a descendant of David through David's son, Nathan. Now that's kind of interesting in and of itself because that would have meant that Jesus could have been the lawful heir of David through Nathan. But then when you look at Matthew's account of the genealogy of Jesus, you find that Jesus' mother, Mary, was a direct descendant of David through Solomon, which would have made Jesus the messianic heir. So yes, Jesus was a Jew, a descendant of David, a descendant of Abraham, but he was more than a Jew. 
as this woman also indicated in Mount Mark, in uh, John chapter four, after she begins to communicate with Jesus, she, you know, and that's a good study in and of itself because you see an evolution of thought and an evolution of belief in John chapter four. She starts with Jesus being a Jew. A little while later, she says, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." She's making progress, and then later in the chapter, she says, "Could this be the Messiah?" So he goes from being a Jew to possibly a prophet, to possibly the Messiah. But that was an attitude that some people had. Jesus was merely a Jew. And i got to tell you, just a snippet does not tell us all that needs to be told about Jesus. Yes, he was a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. But then there was a man by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus, and as far as Nicodemus could tell, Jesus was merely a teacher, a rabbi who obviously has God's blessings. He is a rabbi or a teacher who came from God. Now, I don't mean to cast a bad light upon Nicodemus. I'm certainly not in any kind of way condemning Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night and understood Jesus just simply to be a teacher. Because later on it was Nicodemus in John chapter 7 and verse 50 who came to Jesus' defense and said, does our, our law judge a man before it hears him? And later on it was Nicodemus in John 19 and verse 39 who along with Joseph of Arimathea provided a you know, burial anointing for Jesus after his crucifixion. But at this juncture with Nicodemus, Nicodemus was very cautious. He came to Jesus by night, and he was very cautious in the choice of his words. And there may have been reasons for that. I can assume that there were. But to him, Jesus was simply a rabbi, a teacher. Nothing is said about the Messiah. But it even gets worse. So to the woman of Samaria, he was a Jew. To Nicodemus, he was a teacher. To many, he was a sinner. You know, in, in uh, John chapter 9 and verse 16, it was concluded, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So Jesus was accused of being a Sabbath breaker. He was a, uh, accused of being a false prophet. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 39, you remember when he was in the household of Simon? And Simon saw this woman, you know, anointing the feet of Jesus and uh, washing his feet. And he said, well, this woman is a sinner. If he, this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. So by saying that, he was accusing Jesus of being a false prophet. Jesus was accused of being not only a false prophet, not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was accused of blasphemy. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25, when Jesus said, See, the son, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, coming with the clouds of heaven. You know what the people said? Well, we don't need anything else. This man just committed blasphemy. So Jesus was condemned on that regard. Remember what Isaiah said? In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, that he was despised as well as rejected. And Jesus said in John 15 and verse 25, they hated me without cause. What did his contemporaries think of him? Well, some thought that he was a glutton and a drunk. 
Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Let me stop and say something about that. I want you to to kind of just wrap your mind around this just a little bit. This was more than just, you know, just inconsistency. You know, we look at that sometimes, well, you know, those people were just inconsistent because, well, uh, they, con- they condemned John for his Nazarite dietary restrictions, and then they condemned Jesus because he didn't have any dietary restrictions. No, it's more than that. It is more than that. When they condemned him of being a glutton and a drunk, if you look back at Deuteronomy 21, verses 20 and 21, this was something that was said about a man's sons. That if they became rebellious and they become, uh, you know, gluttons and drunks, they were to be stoned to death. So what they're doing is accusing Jesus of a crime that would have, in, that would have resulted in his being stoned to death. Just another way of accusing Jesus of sin. Sin worthy of death. So how did his contemporaries view him? Some viewed him as the reincarnation or the resurrection of John the Baptist. Remember, that's what Herod thought, Mark, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 2. He thought, when he heard about Jesus and all the Jesus, well, this must be John come back from the dead. He had beheaded John. And he thought that now that John was beheaded, that all of this stuff that began with John would finally die out. No, not so. Jesus comes along preaching repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and was doing all of these mighty works, and Herod, being very superstitious, thought that it perhaps could be John, having risen from the dead. So how did the contemporaries view Jesus? Well, in answer to the question that Jesus asked in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, rather, well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. You know, i got to tell you something. This was more than just confusion when they were making that statement. That Well, he's just Jeremiah. Maybe he's Elijah. Or maybe he's one of the other prophets. Because it seemed the Jews expected an actual resurrection and return of both Jeremiah and Elijah. As a matter of fact, the disciples of Jesus came to him in Matthew 17 verses 10 through 12, and ask him, why do the Jews say that Elijah is to return? And Jesus said, well, because he is. And he he has. And Jesus is referring to John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. But they expected a literal Elijah to come back. You remember when Jesus was on the cross? Matthew 27 and verse 49, when he cried out, Eli, Eli, Elimeth, Sabachthani? Well, He's calling for Elijah because they expected Elijah to return. And their belief about the actual appearance of Jeremiah and Elijah is reflected in the apocryphal book, 2nd Esdras, that they said both Jeremiah and Elijah would return. That's what they thought. And so they thought, well, maybe that's Jesus. Maybe Jesus is Jeremiah. Or maybe he's Elijah or one of the prophets. Then there was Peter. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now later, Peter would receive direct revelation, direct messages from God. But I believe at this juncture, Peter was making that confession based upon the evidence that he saw. 
both in the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. And he concluded correctly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, the sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter pointed out, well, you know, Jesus is a man attested by God, by miracles and wonders and signs, which he did. And, you know, we, we saw them. And so there was a variety of opinions about Jesus in the New Testament. And, and I've got to tell you, those variety of opinions and that controversy continues to exist today. As a matter of fact, when you look at what, what is said in John chapter 7, verses 46 through 49, when they said, you know, never has a man spoken like this man. And it, uh, you, you, are you to see, well, you know, there's just this variety of ideas about who Jesus is. And that confusion that existed in the first century continues to exist today. And by the way, let me tell you something. The confusion that existed then and the confusion that exists today has absolutely nothing to do with the lack of clarity in Jesus' teaching. No, it did not. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, they came to Jesus and said, How long are you going to keep us guessing or keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You know what Jesus said to them? I have told you, and you did not believe. So it has nothing to do with the clarity of Jesus, all of these, variety, these various opinions, because he was very clear as to what his message was. He was very clear as to who he was. But still people were confused. People had no idea. You know, coming up with all kinds of ideas, so we shouldn't be confused or surprised today when you see a number of people who are confused. And, and, and I'm telling you, there are a lot of people who continue to be confused about who Jesus is. Who can this be? So let me, let me sort of shift now just a little bit. And let's talk about some of the ideas that people have today. Who is Jesus according to I'm going to put a name up there, and you probably, unless you're uh, maybe a student of history, of religious history to one degree or another, you're not going to recognize the name. But who is Jesus according to a man by the name of Bruno Bauer and his ilk or people like him? Now, let me tell you, Bruno Bauer was a German philosopher and a theologian of the 19th century. And Bauer and others who agree with him deny that the historical Jesus existed. They say that no one known as Jesus Christ ever walked upon this earth. They deny that he was a man. They say that the very idea of Jesus is simply a myth. Jesus is a mythological character, according to Bauer. We said, when a J.R. Bauer, if you said he lived in the 1800s, I mean, come on. Is that, well, let me tell you something. The Huffington Post ran a series of articles by a man by the name of Nigel Barber, 
And Barber postulated this, that Jesus is a no-show in history outside the Bible. They say there's not another work, there's not another documentation anywhere outside the Bible that ever mentions Jesus Christ. Now, Barber goes on to say this. If Jesus cannot be convincingly documented as a historical figure, then where do the New Testament's narratives come from? That would be a good question, wouldn't it? If Jesus never existed, and there's no written documentation outside the New Testament, then where did all of this come from? Well, Barber has his answer. He said, so, the theory of Jesus as a myth neatly explains how Jesus did not exist as a historical person. Now, let me tell you something. I, I, I just want to stop. I, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time, uh, any time really for that matter, as an apologist here. But what I want to tell you is this. There are thousands upon thousands of copies of manuscripts. Some are part or some are whole about the life of Jesus Christ. And some are as early as the second century, just a few decades removed from when Jesus actually walked upon this earth. And those manuscripts, and by the way, there are many, many versions which are translations of the scriptures that are in, you know, old as well. They're, they're, they're ancient. And they... they, they, they they, they confirm the fact that Jesus lived as a man upon this earth and that his existence is not mythological. You take your New Testament, for example. You take your gospel according to Luke. And Luke is a historian that does exactly what historians do, and that is research. You know, I, I, I like to read books of history. I do. I, I, like, I, I like reading about, uh, you know history of our country and I, I love to read those, those those historians who are very very meticulous in their research because they present information that somebody that wasn't that precise would overlook or not get a hold of well Luke was such a historian as a matter of fact I want you to listen very carefully how Luke begins his gospel He's writing to someone by the name of Theopolis. And here's what he said in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things. Let me stop right there. Notice what he says. I'm not the first to write about this. There have been many, many, many writers. And I am just doing what they have done. Many have take, uh, set, taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those from the beginning were what? Eyewitnesses. And ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Despite the claims to the contrary, 
there is strong evidence outside of Scripture as to the existence of Jesus in history. Time would not allow me tonight to be able to present to you how many that there are outside the New Testament that attest to the fact that Jesus is a historical person. I will cite one, and I want to, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that one that I'll cite. Flavius Josephus, you've heard that name many, many times. He was a Jewish historian who wrote a book entitled Antiquities of the Jews in about AD 93, near the end of the first century. And he described in the Antiquities of the Jews, he described Jesus as a wise man who was crucified by Pilate. Now, we're told that the passage that I am about to read to you was an interpolation. And that really is, you know, they want to tell you, well, that's something's just been inserted into the text of Josephus. But really, when they talk about inter an interpolation, they're really talking about a falsification, that it's just a lie. I want to read the entire question text. And then I'm going to read it the second time and omit what is purported to be the falsification. Let me read it in its entirety first. And then I'll read it the second time, leaving out the part that they say has been inserted. The passage says, About this time arose Jesus a wise man, if indeed it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful deeds and a teacher of men who gladly received the truth. He drew to himself many, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, on the indictment of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him at the first did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them alive, again alive on the third day, the divine prophets having foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things about him. And even to this day, the race of Christians who are named from him has not died out. Now, those who, you know, dissect and, 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 and read Josephus, well, that's, that's been added. But then when they're pressed on this matter, this, well, no, it's not all been added, but there has, there's some of that's interpolation. Well, let me read to you the part that now is agreed is not an interpolation. About this time arose Jesus a wise man. He drew to himself many. And when Pilate, on the indictment of the principal men among us, had, uh, had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him at the first did not cease to do so. And even to this day the race of Christians who are named from him has not died out. So even if you remove from that part that is questionable, he still, in 93 or 97 AD, he mentions Jesus and Pilate, Jesus having been put to death. Jesus was not a mythological being. He was someone who actually lived in the first century. And now it doesn't tell us who he was, but it tells us that he lived. Well, now let's, let's move on from those who deny his existence. And let's think about modern Judaism. What does the modern Jewish religion 
have to say about Jesus. Now, there is absolutely no specific doctrinal view of Jesus in modern Judaism. Now, what there is a consistency of among Jews is that he was not divine and that he is certainly not their Messiah. That's almost a universal acceptance. Now, to some Jews, he was a delusional rabbi. To some, he was an insurrectionist. To others, he was a religious philosopher and had some worthwhile sayings and worthwhile beliefs and worthwhile teachings. But they acknowledge that he lived. Well, what about Islam? Islam, a multi-million member group, it's divided into various denominations as well as so-called Christendom, but what about Islam? Islamic faith. You, you remember, and I'm certain that you do, the Islamic faith was founded by Muhammad on the Arabian Peninsula in the early 7th century. Now what Muhammad claimed is that he was restoring the monotheistic religion that had been perverted by both Christians and Jews. And as a result, Muslims acknowledge the impact of Jesus. And the Muslims recognize him as a significant person within their religious system. As a matter of fact, the Quran describes Jesus as a prophet, but nothing more. But they acknowledge him. And they acknowledge him as a prophet. A Muslim theologian by the name of Mirza Ahmad wrote and acknowledged that Jesus was nailed to a cross, crucified. But he does not believe that Jesus died on the cross. Ahmad wrote that Jesus lost consciousness while he was on the cross and only appeared to be dead. He compared that to Jonah in the fish's belly that survived three days and three nights in the fish's belly. And that Jesus was only appeared to be dead and he was taken down from the cross, removed from the cross, and his injuries were treated with some sort of miraculous salve, ointment. And then he appeared, Ahmad said, he appeared afterwards to his disciples. He traveled to Afghanistan and to Kashmir where he continued to teach and preach and minister to the sick. And he eventually died, according to Islam, at the age of 120 in India and was supposedly buried in Srinagar. But they acknowledge that he was a historical figure. What about Hinduism? Hinduism, uh, I tell you, when you start studying the Hindu religion, you recognize that the views of Hinduism among everything is so diverse. And that's, that's true about Jesus. Some Hindus think that Jesus was a practitioner, a practitioner of yoga, that he was, you know, a wise man, and there are many who follow his teachings. But as a rule, the Hindus reject the idea that Jesus was a unique incarnation of God because they believe that Krishna and other deities were also incarnations of God. But they acknowledge that Jesus was a real historical being. Buddhism. 
There's no accepted view of Jesus in Buddhism, and there's probably a reason for that, because Buddhism is a religion that predates Christianity by about 500 years. And so there would have been nothing in their writings or in their history that would have said anything at all about Jesus or about Christians or about Christianity. But now, modern Buddhists will acknowledge that in all probability, Jesus was an enlightened one, motivated by compassion, seeking enlightenment for everyone, including himself. But let's go from those world religions now to those that we may have more uh, interest in or maybe a little more familiarity with. And what about Mormonism? What's Mormon's view of Jesus Christ? Remember, we're talking about the diverse views of the first century and the diverse views of the 21st century. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, often speaks of Jesus Christ. If you get on their websites and you look at their writings and you read the, uh, their, their so-called inspired books, the Doctrines and Covenants, uh, Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormons, you're going to read a lot and a lot and a lot about Jesus. And to most people, they would think that Mormonism is just another denomination that embraces Jesus. Not true. Mormonism teaches that Jesus is a procreated being, the literal offspring of God the Father and one of his heavenly wives. Mormonism believes, or Mormon, uh, the Mormon theology says, that God the Father, Elohim, dwells on a planet with his many spirit wives and that he is producing a numerous spirit children that await to inhabit physical bodies so that they too one day can ascend to Godhead or to Godhood as their parents did. And Jesus is believed to be the firstborn spirit child of Elohim and that Jesus is the elder brother of Lucifer. Now that's Mormon theology. And that's not anything akin to what the Bible says about Jesus. Well, then there are those of the Unitarian belief that says Jesus is just a wise teacher. What they say is, we say that Jesus was fully human, no different than you or I, except that he made use of that humanity more fully than you and I ever will. Then there are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that Jesus Christ is the same person as Michael the Archangel in the Old Testament. And in their view, in identifying Jesus with Michael, the archangel confirms their belief that Jesus is not divine. For example, in an article published a few years back in the Watchtower magazine, it was asked this question, is Jesus the archangel Michael? And their response very simply was, put simply, the answer is yes. Jesus Christ is Michael the archangel, so Michael the archangel is Jesus in his pre-human existence. After his resurrection and return to heaven, Jesus resumed his service as Michael, the chief angel, to the glory of God the Father. And insofar as the cornerstone of Christianity is concerned, the resurrection of Jesus, that's something that is denied by the Jehovah's Witnesses completely. They claim that the so-called resurrection, as they refer to it, that Jesus is actually 
uh, was a recreation because into a spiritual body because his actual body was absorbed in the gases of the tomb. And so who came out of the tomb was a spirit recreation, not a resurrection of the same Jesus that was put into the tomb. And then liberal theologians, Protestant theologians, deny the virgin birth. They say that it's just mythological false teaching. They deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. They deny that Jesus was sinless. They say that the best thing that could be said about Jesus is that he was a, in some regards, a good moral teacher. Do you get an idea here about the variety of opinions that existed in the first century and that exist in the 21st century as to who Jesus actually is? Is there nothing definitive that we can put our finger on to say, okay, this, this is Jesus? Is there nothing definitive? Yes, there is. And, and, and before I get to that, and we're really going to develop that in our studies, uh, further studies in this series, I, I, let me just conclude with something that I think is very, very important here. I want you to stop and think with me for just a moment about the impact of Jesus on the world. Because I, I, I think if we can get our minds wrapped around this, then it's going to better prepare us to really delve into the scriptures and find out, okay, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we sing about? Who is this Jesus that we confess? Who is this Jesus that has a name that is above all names? I've I got to tell you, when I, when I think about the impact of Jesus upon the world, I'm not thinking necessarily with passages that we normally would equate to this, such as John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm not thinking of the impact of Jesus, such as Luke 19 and verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. Oh, those are beautiful passages, and they really describe to us the very heart and soul of Jesus Christ. Nor am I talking about what he said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm really just talking about the impact that Jesus has had upon this world. He, he's, just, he, he's left an indelible mark in the world. And, and, and just think about it. As someone expressed one time, Jesus marshaled no armies. He wrote no books. The Jewish leaders and the Roman Caesars and the Roman legion of his day did everything they could to stamp out the name Jesus and to rid the world of any influence. But I'm going to tell you, the holy city of Jerusalem was brought to ruins in 70 A.D. Rome. Mighty Rome is just rendered in ruins throughout and thrown on the ash heap of history. The Caesars are gone. The Roman legion has been dissolved. And yet the influence of Jesus continues today on our world, even by those who refuse to believe on him. Just stop and think about it, my friends. Our very dating system 
the BCAD dating system was designed and implemented, developed because of Jesus. You know, we look at this as this is, this is 2022 A.D., or perhaps more accurately, A.D. 2022. And this was based upon the fact that Jesus lived and walked upon this earth. Now, many people believe that B.C. stands before, for the words before Christ, and A.D. stands for after death. But that's only partly true. You see, A.D. stands for the Latin phrase, Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Now, B.C. does stand for before Christ. But you see, this is because Jesus lived upon this earth. Now, I understand that efforts are underway now to replace A.D. with the letters C.E. for common era. And this is being done because, like in the first century, there are efforts underway to rid the world of any influence of Jesus the Christ. He had an impact upon this world, acknowledged even by those who refused to bow a knee to him. Do you realize, my friends, that more books have been written about Jesus Christ than any other historical person? And that is not an exaggeration. No other person in history has been the subject of as much research and scrutiny and focus as has, as has Jesus Christ. As far as books are concerned, there are more than can be listed. It's estimated that they run in the tens of thousands of books. That's amazing. But that's the influence that Jesus has had upon the world. And, and, and I think of this, and this is not nearly as important as what I've looked at thus far. Do you realize there have been nearly 150 motion pictures that have been produced about Jesus? Now, many of those motion pictures are trying to correctly portray the gospel accounts of his life. Some, however, have not. Some are blasphemous, such as Jesus Christ Superstar, 1973, and The Last Temptation of Christ in 1988. Some are mockeries, such as the life of Brian and Jesus of Montreal. But many are trying to portray what the Gospels say about Jesus Christ. Now, i tell you what the problem I have with a lot of them is the way they portray Jesus, even if they're trying to get it right, they kind of portray Jesus as a man who, uh, you know, sort of a, a glassy-eyed man on Prozac or something, just kind of reciting some lines. And that is not what the Bible teaches me about Jesus. But he has an impact. Nations, including ours, have used his words as bedrocks of governments. According to Will Durant, who wrote the story of philosophy in 1961, he said on page 428 of that book, The Triumph of Christ was the beginning of democracy. June 16th, or June 16th, 1858. In a speech in Springfield, Illinois, after accepting the Republican nomination for president, Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. A house divided against itself cannot stand was uttered by Jesus Christ centuries before Abraham Lincoln co-opted that phrase. When Jesus was casting out demons and accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand, Matthew 12 and verse 25. Do you realize, my friends, that the fact of that has been enshrined in the laws of this land, freedom of speech, innocent until proven guilty, and created equal. All of these derive from the fact that Jesus lived and walked upon this earth. The influence of Jesus is hard to get away from. Schools and hospitals and humanitarian works have been founded upon his teaching. Now, just, just think about all the hospitals that have religious affiliations. And this goes back centuries when, yeah, you know, it, it, was, it, it was religious institutions who were, in, and I'm talking about those who adhered, at least in some regard, to the teaching of Jesus, who became concerned about the sick and the afflicted and the weak and the hurting among us. And hospitals were erected to take care of the sick. Prominent universities were founded at first upon the teaching of Jesus Christ. Some of these included Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, Oxford. Now, I recognize that they've drifted far from their harbor, but they started because of Jesus. Women have been elevated to a position of honor because of Jesus. It isn't the sexual revolution. It isn't a, the, the abortion rights that some women want. It isn't women entering the corporate world and climbing the corporate ladder of success that has liberated women. Women in Jesus' day were considered inferior and considered in many instances just chattel. Virtual non-persons until Jesus' teaching was followed. And when the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3 and verse 28, there's neither, female, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus, that reflected the Messiah. You see, it was Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse 28 who pointed out that women are not just sexual objects. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've degraded yourself and you've committed sin. Adultery in your heart. It was Jesus who put his stamp of approval on the sanctity of marriage. That women couldn't just be turned out. There's only one cause, one cause only for divorce, sexual immorality. It was Jesus who made women elevated. And it was Jesus who was instrumental, I believe, in the abolition of slavery both in Britain and in America. Not because Jesus personally, you're going to put your finger on a passage of Scripture where Jesus personally condemned the institution of slavery. But slavery was common in his first century world. But the teaching of Jesus pertaining to the value of human life was instrumental in the eradication of slavery. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 5 and verse 44, to love your enemies, not enslave them. And when that kind of teaching was practiced, it 
It was the death knell of slavery. Matthew 7 and verse 12, the golden rule that we often paraphrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You cannot own another human being and practice that rule. And when Peter said in Acts 10 and verse 34 that God is no respecter of persons, he shows no partiality. If I'm going to be a follower of our Lord, how can I show partiality? And you remember when Paul wrote to Philemon in that one chapter book, verses 15 and 16, about Onesimus, a runaway slave. Paul said, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. My friends, let me tell you, when brotherly love prevails, then slavery will be abolished because hearts will be changed. And that's what occurred. A man by the name of Alexander McLeod, who was an Anglican minister, said this in 1802 nearly a half a century before the Civil War. That was fought to free slaves that cost 618, 222 American lives. McLeod said no slaveholder should be allowed communion of the church. You see, my friends, the influence of Jesus is profound in every culture, even by those who do not acknowledge him. In our study tomorrow night, I want to give you a perspective of the biblical Jesus. Remember Hebrews 2 and verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. We want to get a good biblical picture of who this Jesus really was and really is. The indisputable truth is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. No man can come to the Father but through him. And as Acts 4 and verse, 4, verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. I haven't dealt this evening with what the Bible says. I promise to do that tomorrow night with what the Bible says about Jesus. I've tried to give you some foundation here. But let me say to you in closing, if you believe what the Bible does say about Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then don't let that faith that you have die act upon that faith make that faith living confess that faith tonight repenting of your sins turning from them, being baptized in water for the remission of your sins and be raised to walk in newness of life if you're subject to the invitation we urge you to come at this time as together we stand and as we sing